how do we start to play a much bigger game? And I think it starts by expanding your notion of what is wealth. And we tend to think of money as wealth, um, as one expression of what wealth, and, and it is. It's not that, oh, there's something evil about that. Fantastic, like money is a form of wealth. But so are so many other things, right? Like you're saying, attention is a form of wealth. Connection is a form of wealth. Stories is a form of wealth. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that bring you one aha moment after another. There is an enormous wave of goodness in progress well underway in the world, one that almost no one knows enough about yet. It is so well hidden by the negative noise that I'm calling that wave a conspiracy of goodness. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a part of that wave. You're probably a remarkable and important giver and helper and doer in your circles. And the guests on this podcast will help you with ideas and inspiration, joy, and fresh things to keep your role in, in your circles strong. Because we need people who are givers, helpers, and doers in society right now. It is still an amazing world, and on this podcast, you're going to hear from people who are making that, that way. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, and I'm the founder of the Mothership website of this podcast called The Goodness Exchange. There you can tap into thousands of articles, links, videos, everything you need to have a spring in your step again. There at The Goodness Exchange, we are talking all about and writing about people who are making the world good, positive, progress. It's what's right with the world. And today we're going to start with a guest who is certainly a part of that, that movement. Nipun Mehta is an amazing thought leader in the world with an organization called servicespace.org. It's an incubator for projects at the intersection of volunteerism, technology, and the gift economy, which we're going to hear a lot more about. Through his work on social change, Nipun has, has been recognized um, by the Dalai Lama as an unsung hero of compassion. He was uh, a choice for, by President Obama to be on the Council for Social Change. And he's been one of Germany's, I'm not really sure how to pronounce this, Um magazine. Well, they named him one of the top 100 most inspiring people of 2020. And in this interview, you're going to figure out why. I'll, I'll let Nipun give you more of the story on service space. But um, to put it in a nutshell, he and, and some of his friends in Silicon Valley started to be curious and want to see how much good in the world could be done with volunteerism as a core principle. And that experiment has now grown into a global ecosystem of over 500,000 people, maybe more. I mean, we're going to find out in a minute. And it's delivered millions of dollars worth of service for free. Um, there's lots of projects in Nipun's orbit, and we're going to talk about those too. So welcome, Nipun Meta. Oh, thank you, Linda. I'm so happy to be part of this conspiracy of goodness. I love that. <laughs> I think you're a charter member for sure. <laughs> and then, you know, we should we should talk about that. You know, uh, it looks like you started at this 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 uh, 
reversing the hopeless narrative in our world um, before it was popular. <laughs> I mean, you started questioning the power of volunteerism and, and so forth. Uh, t- give us a way before it was popular. So give us a little rundown on your story. Well, uh, I mean, from that perspective of goodness, I actually really always kind of feel and have felt that there is this spark in people, this spark that longs to be connected to each other, that longs to be in service, that longs to be compassionate. Um, and I think it's just that sometimes it's covered up by all these clouds, and uh, but it doesn't mean it's it's not there. You know, the, the rays of the sun are always there. I had this implicit faith uh, for myself and in everybody I saw. And I was like, you know, how can we bring more of that? Like, so I, I remember uh, in the late 90s, or actually maybe 96 or something like that, I was, you know, I had access to a computer. I was I was working my one and only job at the time in, in my life, actually. Um, I was I had access to a computer that had 24 hour internet access. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. And I remember starting this project called Daily Good, which would just send out initially, it was like, you know, it's like all like, what would a teenager do with this kind of access? It's like, you, you know, you you want to do a prank in, in a way, but a good prank, like a, a, a sort of a kindness prank, so to speak. And what I decided to do is send out an automatic email at 4am. So everybody would be like, Oh, Nippon is awake at 4 a.m. But what I really wanted to do uh, was send out a little bit of good news. And so I had programmed this to send. uh, Initially, it was just a quote. uh, And then it was like a little bit of good news. And then it expanded into something, an action also. uh, And that came to be known as Daily Good. And it's gone out to millions of people. It's every single day since 96. We've sent out one email. Uh, just with uh, something positive, something that says, oh, like I, you know, I also have that impulse to serve and I I want to actually empower that impulse as opposed to so many other impulses we may have uh, that may arise on, on this, you know, difficult um, path that we all have to tread. So I, I think for me, that was, that's always been, uh, that's always been the hallmark of uh, of what I feel um, that I think the world is held, contrary to what we hear in the news. You know, I think the world is actually held by a lot of goodness that doesn't make the news. The world is held by a lot of care. And it starts with our mothers. You know, you don't have to go too far to know that, my God, like nine months of an unconditional gift. I mean, you know, how are you going to ever repay that? And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of this conspiracy of goodness, as you call it. Well, I tell you, there's a lot of history um, that reflects that that's how the biggest leaps in human history um, happen. Um, to prepare for my TED talk on the topic, um, I. I really dove into whether it was true. It was the story I was telling myself was that, you know, at first, all major social change starts with the quiet givers, the people who are just turning their back on something that offended them at the core of their humanity. And that's, and that's how it turns out we got rid of the gladiators and slavery and uh, it just so many things that weren't that weren't aligned with uh, human progress or progress for the greater good or the, the world in general. So, okay. Well, so and, 
Oh, go okay, ahead. go ahead. That's no, no, I, I, I was I was just going to add a little nuance because I'm very inspired by people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and yeah. uh, what they did. It's one thing to be offended and say, I'm going to write this ship. But it's it's another to say, look, this is not right. I oppose the action, but I'm going to love the person. And so what Gandhi did was when he's thrown off the train for being brown uh, in South Africa, he was very offended by that action. He was hurt by that action. He wanted to, he ended up dedicating his life towards that kind of injustice, but he never did it while othering the other person. So I think so many times in the name of doing what we think is good, we end up uh, actually creating, you know, to bur- to build a bridge, we end up burning or, or or maybe to build five bridges, we end up burning like two bridges. And that in the larger mathematics isn't good. Um, it, you know, it, it, it isn't a good ledger, right? Like we can do better. And I think what people like uh, Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, you know, uh, it, you can even modern Mandela, Dalai Lama, like all these folks, what they really stand for is to say, I'm not going to create an enemy while resisting a certain kind of action that underneath that action there is a lot of goodness and i may resist the action but i love the person um and you see so many remarkable examples of when gandhi was in south africa his arch rival was this guy named general schmutz who's the head of the army and they were like you know they were like this for such a long time and he put him in jail so many times and at one point gandhi's in jail and and inside the jail, he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a gift for the guy who put me in jail, General Schwartz. So he creates these sandals uh, by by his own hands and he gives it to him. And General Schmutz, and this is now in a museum, these sandals with his quote there, he says that, man, it was my privilege to lose to a man like this. It was my, and he says, I'm not man enough to step in these shoes. And yet, like, I feel, you know, I feel that it was one of the most meaningful things that I have uh, received in my life. And so it's, it's not just that you change the other person, you get your way, but you get your way in a way that the other person is lifted up as well. Like that, I think, is the PhD of compassion, right? Like it's, you know, we may not be able to get there right away, but I think it's possible to play a more infinite game, you know, uh, and to lift up all sides. So true. You know, um, our our niche has been for 10 years interviewing folks who are doing the most extraordinary things in the world, solving some of our biggest problems that no one knows about. And one thing I've noticed about the innovators who are adding fresh ideas or going at things with fresh angles, they don't need an enemy. The best ideas don't need an enemy. They're just great ideas all on their own. And and you can't get the best innovators to talk about anybody, um, anything but the idea and going forward and bringing people on board. They they will not talk about an enemy. And I think yeah. it's right in line with what you're saying. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Agree. So okay, so there's a a concept um, that I really love that's sort of at the core or at the beginning of this. We're going to get into lots and lots of your insights, but you know. I love this concept of paying attention to circulating things that matter. 
that's one of the things I I speak about um, out in the wider world is is kind of the, the the paying attention to what we're giving our attention to, right? Paying attention to what we're helping rise to the top of the internet. We we can't be clicking on all this crazy and meanness. We we've got to reserve our clicks for the things that matter. So talk to us about this 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 shift from kind of a consumption to a contribution mentality. I, Cause I think that's where you're going there with that circulating things that matter. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I, I think there's this also this notion of multiple forms of wealth. Right. I mean, I think there is this uh, so there are things that matter, but we have created such a narrow funnel of what matters so you have to be really the top of the class. You have to be looking a certain way. Uh, you have to be rich. You have to be powerful. You have to be famous before you can create change. I mean, that's the typical narrative. And even if we're not fully bought into that narrative, we always feel that, oh, if I had more of this, I could create more good in the world. But the problem is not that, right? The problem is precisely this want for more which is actually what creates all this separation and all this inequality and all this hierarchy. Um, and so instead of saying, oh, I want to scale my idea up to the biggest, guess what? Even if you get there, like if you're on the cover of some major magazine, what does that mean? That means everyone else is not on that cover, right? So how do we start to play a much bigger game? And I think it starts by expanding your notion of what is wealth. And we tend to think of money as wealth, um, as one expression of what wealth, and, and it is. It's not that, oh, there's something evil about that. Fantastic, like money is a form of wealth. But so are so many other things, right? Like you're saying, attention is a form of wealth. Connection is a form of wealth. Stories is a form of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do so much to circulate money we, to, we do so much to circulate this narrative that more power means you are more of an agent of change, that more fame means you are more of an agent of change. But we actually do very little to circulate so many other expressions of wealth, right? We have markets for money. We have so many, you know, stocks are being traded and you have derivatives and you have derivatives of derivatives and all this stuff. And like, why don't we do that with our time capital, right? Like we're all giving time. And when we do that, like, how do we circulate? So I think this question of, like, there is this goodness impulse, and that goodness impulse translates into some action, but that action is usually validated by the market. So if someone is doing good and tending to the animals that, like, are passing by their backyard. Like my wife, she loves to feed the squirrels that come. They they come to her and eat food from her hands, you know. And you tend to look at that and you say, oh, well, that's not Nobel worthy because that's not going to, you know, be in the news and that's not going to scale all this stuff. And I'm not so sure that, we, you know, it's as simple as that. If the whole, all of the world is deeply interconnected, that small act of feeding the squirrel actually changes the calculus of the entire world. 
And you may not be at the center of it, but you're creating this ripple effect. And that's just as meaningful as somebody in, uh, you know, in centralized power uh, or with a certain kind of authority or wealth or whatever. Uh, if they're creating some change and that gets measured and that scales up, I think that's great, too. It's not that it's not great, um, but it's not any better than doing a small act of love. Um, so to me, a lot of this comes down to realizing that there are many forms of wealth. Uh, and as Rumi might say, there are many ways to kneel and kiss the ground, um, that there are many ways to be of service. And all of them uh, are should be valued. Yeah, sometimes I get the feeling that folks um, feel like if they can't make a home run for someone, if it's they can't do something big that that the small things don't matter, but maybe it's the small things that matter the most. Yeah, because we can I mean, do I, more I, of them. I, yeah, like Mother Teresa said, you can do no big things, only small things with great love, and I think that's totally true. Like I, I, I haven't talked to any leaders in the world that are like, look, yeah, I, I, everything I do is like just big. No, man. At the end of the day, we're all brushing our teeth, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all breathing. At the end of the day, uh, we all have to uh, engage with strangers. And how are you going to engage? How are you going to engage with everything um, that you end up doing? Do you have that joy? Do you feel connected? And I think those who tend to the small acts oftentimes end up um, being happier because they see that everything is deeply you know, connected in this interwoven web of life. And if you're in that place in you, man, it's a very, you feel, you feel held, you feel secure. And there's this bubbling of compassion that naturally happens in you because you realize, man, everything is me, you know, um, that everything is, is deeply, deeply interconnected. So I, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a challenge of our times to not just say, oh, this person, you know, one of my friends actually had a son who was autistic um, and he was, he was very successful, did a lot of huge things. I think he had 5,000 people working under him at the age of 36. Um, and he had a son and, you know, him and his wife, he married his high school and college sweetheart, um, had a storybook life, but then they had a son and, uh, the doctor said that, uh, your son is going to be autistic. Um, and the way he describes it, he didn't know how to process it. And so he's like, he says, the first time I heard it, I went to the bathroom, locked myself in there and cried for half an hour straight. Mm -hmm. And then he realized that actually maybe this is the greatest gift of my life. Um, and he ended up, uh, you know, he, he was at SAP, one of these big companies. And he said, you know, what I want to do, I think my son's greatest gift for me has been to show me that everyone is good at something that my son isn't good in the same ways. Like he can't be on this podcast, uh, but he's good in so many other ways. And he, so he went on this hunt and he realized that people on the autism spectrum are actually quite uh, remarkable in so many ways. Like they never lie. They're never late. They don't get bored. And he, and he ended up hiring five people on the autism spectrum and it was so successful. It became a Harvard case study. So I think if we all think creatively like this, that everyone is good at something, I'm good at something. And how do I circulate that gift? 
in that circulation, I think we feel connected. And in that connection, we uncover a deeper synergy of being alive and unlock new solutions uh, for suffering in the world. Mm, that is so beautiful. You know, uh, before we move right off the topic of autism, I, in I recently interviewed Temple Grandin. I'm not sure if you know who Temple is, but she's probably the most famous uh, autistic um, scientist in the world. And she, um, she she will be the podcast right before yours publishes. So I hope people will look at that because that is her message. She she was nonverbal by age three, and um, her parents were told to institutionalize her. And she ended up with a PhD at the University of Illinois, and she's designed most of the um, livestock processing plants in the United States now. Because of her autism, she could see yeah. the world differently and yeah. design things humanely. I, there, there could be no end to the limitless potential in different kinds of minds once yeah. we open up to the possibility there. Yeah, thanks for, exactly. thanks for mentioning the autism topic. It's, a, it's an important part of the diversity conversation we're having in our world right now. Yeah, this, this yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about more of these great insights and ways to sort of open up our, our minds to the world of possibility through a, through a heartfelt sense of giftivism. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, Dr. Linda here. Did you know that a recent Harvard study found that exposure to just four minutes of good news each day will make you 32% less anxious and 18% more optimistic. Just four minutes. We've all got that much time to devote to our worldview and our sense of flourishing. Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, you can be the one in your circles with fresh insights, ideas, and a sense of strength. Okay, so that takes care of the problem in our personal lives. But what about our work environments? We need to feel like we come alive there, that we, that we have meaning and purpose there. Well, enter the goodness exchange for business. For companies that want to create optimistic and values-driven work cultures, our content can give you a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction may depend on your company's ability to nurture a tone of innovation, interesting collaborations, and possibility. And most importantly, the Goodness Exchange can meaningfully elevate your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages because your work culture can be offering employees something new, peace of mind and that sense of flourishing I mentioned before, where employees' well-being isn't just a perk. It's the way we care about the individuals in our workplaces. So if you'd like to chat about infusing your culture with a tone of celebration about goodness and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl. Her email address is info at goodnessexchange.com. Thanks. 
Okay, we're back. Um, thanks for joining us on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. We're chatting with Nipun Mehta. Uh, he's the founder of an amazing organization called Service Space. Now, we haven't gone too far down that rabbit hole yet, but that organization that started so many years ago um, as a good news email that Nipun sent out has now blossomed into things like uh, the Daily Good and Awaken Circles and Karuna News and Karma Kitchen and on and on. Um, before we go too far, talk to us about this this spectrum of projects that you've been. You essentially ran an experiment to see how how volunteerism could make the world go round. Tell us about some of these projects. Um, yeah, we we started by building websites for nonprofits in 1999. Um, that's when we formally started. But, you know, these things you can go back like we were doing the Daily Good email like many a couple of years before that. And you can go all the way back to your birth. You know, I mean, it, it all is like kind of uh, one giant story. But I think in 1999, we four of us uh, ended up going to a homeless shelter and we said, oh, how can we help? Um, and we ended up building them a website. This was 1999. At that time, people didn't know what websites were. They were just coming out. And our our sort of uh, intention and the impulse in our heart was that we wanted to get, we wanted to practice generosity. I think generosity, kindness, compassion, they're like muscles. So science tells us this now, that the more you flex these muscles, the more capacity you have. And so at that, we intuitively knew this. Uh, we felt this, and we said we want to practice, um, you know, kindness. We want to practice compassion, and so it, it it flowed out into the world through acts of service. Now we didn't know how we were going to serve, um, but we went to a homeless shelter, and we said, okay, well, we have these skills to maybe make websites. You know, we're young twenty-something-year-olds, and so we ended up building a website. But it felt so right. It felt so wonderful to give. And it was no strings attached, no brands, no money, nothing. We just, just one way love. Um, and as we did that, as you know, as anyone who has done anything in that spirit knows that you feel like you're the biggest beneficiary of that, right? You're like, yeah, maybe we built a website and yeah, maybe it helped you and all these things happen. But man, we we feel like we lucked out. And so then we started building more and, and, and more than that, we told other people that, Hey, like, you know, I think we've run across this gold mine. It's called the human heart and it's activated through small acts of service. And people were like, okay, you know, and it, and it's, it's not like some sage on the stage telling you that it's like an everyday young kid that doesn't have life figured out saying, Hey man, this is cool stuff. Um, and so, uh, you know, with the thousands of people started coming um, and saying, yeah. And, and people actually wrote media stories at the time saying, look at these crazy people, man, they could be making money doing this. Cause at that time building websites, you could easily have made a lot of money. Um, and people were charging a lot. And, and so, but we were like, you know, we don't, for us, it's our return is coming from nature. Like we weren't funded by the markets. We were funded by the endowment of what it means to be human. Like we are getting this wellspring of deep satisfaction. And then we started thinking about it. We're like, man, I think everyone is wired like this. 
So, you know, why don't we just like, instead of going and being transactional with people and like, that's usually what we do when we hire people, right? We say, look, I'm going to hire you, which means that you do this work for me and I give you this in return. We said, why don't we just create spaces where people can reconnect with that part of themselves and when they actually serve, nature will reward them. So we're like, let's just do something that's nature funded, you know? And so it's like a crazy idea. You were like, wait, why isn't the whole world doing this? You know, how come, how come people haven't figured this out? Right. And we're like, well, whatever, like, let's, let's do it ourselves. And so that's kind of how we, um, you know, we, we just, the more we did it, the more people wanted to give and the more like words spread virally. Um, and, and we were also smart about incorporating, I mean, you know, people have so many things to do in their lives. Um, so they, uh, they might have five hours or they might have, you know, um, two hours one week. And so we decided to put these micro volunteer, we, we created a platform where these micro volunteering hours could be, could add up to, uh, you know, something significant. So instead of like, you know, five staff, uh, working for you for, 40 hours, you'd have 40 people uh, contributing five hours a week and a platform that brought it all together. And so we started having this incredible, uh, you know, organizational institutional capacity. Um, and we were like, well, what, what else can we do? You know? Um, and so we said, well, we should solve problems in the world naturally. So then we said, well, what kind of problems, you know? And so we said, well, there's many people solving many problems in the world, but maybe we should solve problems that money can't solve. Right. And that's a very interesting question because if you ask people, like you go to a party, right? And, and you ask everybody, well, can you tell me three problems that money can't solve? And everyone will be like, no, because our usual conditioning of the mind is that you do something as a lemonade stand and then you mature into a factory and then you mature into a lot more fundraising and then you become a nonprofit. And then, you know, it's 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 like we have a very um, conditioned mind even around social change. Like we don't actually we don't actually believe that you can be doing lemonade stands for 20 years and that could blossom into something way outside the market and in fact way effective and way more effective and it can solve unique kinds of problems that the traditional uh resources like money power fame can cannot do so we didn't we weren't asking all these questions we were just like okay well let's try it and so we started solving problems that money couldn't solve and it ended up that there's a lot of problems um like even why do we have a lack of good news in the world because you know, it, what, what is that line they use? Like, if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing, you know, like bad news sells. Yeah. Um, so like kindness, why don't we have a full out portal on kindness? How do we rebuild trust in society? Nobody's figured this out. Trust is plummeting. Uh, so there are so many things that money is not really great at solving. And, and we had this nature funded ecosystem. And so we were like, okay, well, let's go out and do this. And we started doing it and it just regenerated by its own own accord um, without any of this, uh, you know, typical uh, sort of uh, limitations that come in. Um, so I, I, I often think of our our work as like we said, so we started with doing websites for nonprofits and we built thousands of them. 
then we started doing these vertical portals around these themes like kindness and good news and um and uh and and even like inspiring videos karma tube so many such portals uh and then we started to do a lot of offline stuff as well um like karma kitchen that you spoke about um awaken circles and living rooms around the world um and 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 these are very innovative things that people usually don't try like karma kitchen yeah, you walk in karma kitchen story that is such a funny story i had somebody tell me all about their experience recently oh it's it's an amazing it's so you we so you let's say you take over a restaurant right a bunch of volunteers and you say well i want to rent this restaurant for today and now i'm going to run it the way i want to um, and how are we going to run it? So we decided that what we would do is you walk in, you have a meal like you would at a normal restaurant, but your check at the end of the meal would read zero. It's zero, not because it's free. It's zero because someone before you, whom you don't know, has paid for you. And you are now trusted to pay forward whatever you want for people after you. And you're like, well, will people just feel like, will people pay uh, and imagine if that happened to you, right? Like, okay, well, I want to leave something for someone after me. I feel a sense of gratitude. But then you say, how much? Like, what do you benchmark it at? Right? Do you give less and say, look, I'm going through a tough time. I'll give less. Do you try to benchmark it to another meal you would pay elsewhere? Or do you overflow with gratitude and pay forward uh, more? Uh, and out holding space for people to just ask that question is so powerful because we don't have any such spaces where you're like, feel into that gratitude and see where you want to land. And you know what? No one's checking. No one's trying to figure out like how much you gave and if you're worthy, if you're not worthy, it's just a conversation between you and your inner self. And you do that through this very mainstream way of like going to a restaurant. Now you turn that restaurant experience into an experience of deep empathy. Uh, and where would that go? And it just, you know, we were the top rated uh, Yelp restaurant in um, Berkeley for a couple of years when we were doing this. We, we did it for, I think, seven years in Berkeley. And it was it was just incredible. And then everyone's like, hey, I want to do it here and I want to do it here. And, uh, you know, I think it's been in 23 places around the world and, um, you know, creating all kinds of ripples in all kinds of ways. And then people are uh, realize that, hey, it doesn't just need to be I could do anything. I could run my yoga studio in this way. I could run, um, you know, I could run my magazine in this way. I could run a rickshaw in India. There's a guy running a rickshaw on this pay it forward basis. Well, I have to tell you a very quick story about that because it is about the ripple effect. What you just said is so important. We um, are big dental practice. My husband and I are both dentists, I mentioned, and we have this very cool 1850 property that has a big yard in the middle of a quaint, charming Vermont town. Big yard. So we started having a community yard sale every spring, and people just came out of the woodwork and brought whatever they could, and we would give all the profit to the Batter Women's Shelter. So the very first year we learned, we learned something very important. We, for thousands of items, we were running around trying to put price stickers on them and so forth. I mean, it was a yard sale. And uh, so I happened to hear a story about the Karma Kitchen. And on day two of that very first yard sale, I ran around and I just said, let's take all these stickers off. Let's just tell people it's to benefit the battered women, batter women and children's shelter and say, pay what you can. Yeah. Well, 
people just, people were so amazingly generous. The day before, we were dickering with people over a quarter <laughs> or 50 cents for something. <laughs> and yeah. then once we put this in, everybody was like, giving us $5 for things we would have put 50 cents on. Exactly. Well, and, and you can take it up another level too. So there's a, so I, so at, at the base level, it's transaction, right? I have my money, you are offering me something and I'm going to be fighting with you over that transaction. Then you go to like, well, pay whatever you can. But I think paying forward for somebody you don't know is even a subtler difference because pay what you can is still about me. Pay forward is, oh my God, like I, this person coming, sitting on this table after me, how, what, and I'll never know them. And so you're sort of like, am I capable of valuing something for which I have no immediate feedback loop? And it actually expands your sense of I, it expands your sense of I to include those before you for whom you feel gratitude and those after you for whom you're paying forward. And that expansion is actually incredibly potent. Is uh, and and anyone who experiences that feels so grateful. They're like, I want to go in. I mean, we had a guy come in with like, you know, he had tattoos and all this stuff on him, and he kind of walks in and he does this, and he looks at the menu and he just starts crying, and we're like, what's going on? And he says. You know, I used to steal from this place growing up, from this very restaurant, like, you know, more than 20 years ago. And now to be held like this, and he has this whole meal. And at the end of the meal, he says, uh, you know, you have to give me a chance to give. Um, can I do dishes for everybody? I'll just be in the back. I won't tell anybody. Uh, I'll just like work. And I just want to serve because I want to be a part of that because right now, I feel this expansion of my sense of I. I feel like all the difficult things I've gone through in life have made me who I am. And I, I, I feel like I, I want to care for those who come after me. And this expansion of who I am is just priceless. Um, and so I, I, I honor that and I want to give uh, to support that. Right. And so I think there's a natural impulse if we really deeply uh, create spaces for this pay forward, um, you know, and, and be a good steward. And we can do that with everything in every in, in a thousand different ways, as opposed to being transactional, as opposed to saying, what am I getting? What, you know, how much can I afford? How much is this worth to me? Are you giving me enough? Like those are very exhausting uh, heuristics in our mind. <laughs> You know? <laughs> uh, so how does reciprocity work in here? Because we hear so much about reciprocity, but almost then nobody calls it that because I'm not even sure. Uh, some days I'm not even sure I know what reciprocity means, but it, it means this impulse of to exchange, give and take, right? Yeah. Talk to me about yeah. how reciprocity works in this equation. Well, so I would say I, I, I kind of see reciprocity working in three different ways, right? So at one level, there is direct reciprocity. So I do something and I get something in return, even if it's intangible, like I do this and I'm feeling good about it. So I'm going to do it, you know, uh, and that's a direct reciprocity. And, and this ends up being very transactional. Um, it, then you have a slightly broader 
uh, circles of care where you start to go into indirect reciprocity. Right? Like I do something for my mom, my mom does something for my brother, my brother does something for my dad, my dad will do something for me. Right? So it's like a circle where everyone is taking care of each other. Um, but still that has its limitations. So indirect reciprocity will still be like, well, this is a circle of bald people. And guess what? If you have hair on your head, you are not a part of the circle. So you kind of create an in-circle and an out-circle. Um, and so there is uh, indirect reciprocity much stronger than direct reciprocity. But then there is infinite reciprocity. And I think where what you see with the example of, say, people like Gandhi, who were operating with that mindset of infinite reciprocity, that I could use violence and, and create and get to my mission a lot quicker um, but you know what, I actually want to, br- I want to be a rising tide that lifts all boats across all time. And you can only do that through compassion. And so I think there's a sense of infinite reciprocity. And I think those are the, that's the most powerful position we can be within ourselves. Uh, it needs a certain kind of inner stability to operate from that space. Um, but I think we are capable of that and we can, Uh, support each other in finding that place of infinite reciprocity, which is principled, which is not transactional, which is relational, uh, which honors the deep ways in which we are wound up as as human beings and not just human beings, as all life, you know. Right, right. Oh, that's a lovely way to think about it. Does that go with that quote? um, And I think in one of your TEDx, you, you gave this great quote, which I've thought about a lot since I heard you say it. You say, you can't count the seeds in an apple. You can count the seeds, sorry. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in the seed. Yeah, I, I, I love that quote. And it's, you know, it's it's like at your... <laughs> People, people would say when I, you know, growing up now, a little less after service space has kind of established itself, but early on doing the work of uh, doing all these different projects and people would be like, you know, this is cute, but like, how long is it going to last? And what difference is it going to make in the world? You're planting seeds. And I mean, that's that, I mean, it's people appreciate it, but it's like a lemonade stand, you know, you go to a lemonade stand and you appreciate the kids. You're like, they're cute, you know? Uh, but then like, call me when you grow up, you know? Um, and, and I, I think our approach was that maybe, maybe they'll call me when they get burnt out and depressed and be like, you know, volunteer at the lemonade stand. And, and that's sort of what is, uh, what, what has happened. And I, I think there's something, um, to, uh, to that notion of that, of planting seeds and not knowing how many apples are going to, uh, be part of the harvest that that you like we don't need to make everything about me you know like you don't need to be the center of the story and that's not a disempowering thing that's actually a radically empowering place to be where you are not just in yourself right where you say where is linda where is nipun and you can say well this body is nipun uh, but if you look a little deeper uh, you realize that actually uh, I don't have to just have a very narrow perception of Nippon. You know, one of my friends, he uh, when his father passed away, um, he, he, he was Hindu. And in the Hindu tradition, they cremate the body. And the eldest son uh, takes the ashes and puts it in, into the water. 
and he was the eldest son. And as he did that, he was grieving. It was very uh, sudden death, unexpected. His father always wanted to buy a house and they had just bought a house on the weekend and his father passed away like two days after that. And so it was a very difficult moment. In this difficult moment, he has these ashes and he's about to uh, offer them into a river. And as he's doing this, uh, he aches all of a sudden, he goes from grief to this incredible joy. And he's like, oh, my God, where is this joy coming from? And he looks around and he says, oh, my, you know, I always thought my father was all of this. But now he's going to be connected through all the water. And in the water, there's all these beings and there's all this fish. And now it's like every time I see all of this life, I'm going to look and say, oh, there's a little bit of my father in everybody. And that expansion is actually an incredibly liberating feeling as opposed to just being stuck in this finite sense of self, you know, that I'm just this. And then at some point it gets old and it dies. And then I'll be, you know, I'll be so sad when everything that I thought I was trying to prop up for my whole life is all gone. Instead of that, you're like, oh, wait, you are not the wave. You are the ocean in which the waves are rising and passing. And man, that's liberating. And I think that's the highest, uh, highest promise of service is that it invites you to go from being identified, not just as the wave, but really being the ocean. And the wave is, is, is beautiful and you honor it, um, but it's going to arise and, and pass. Um, so I, I think that's, that's really the reward for service is to then plant seeds um, for who, whose apples you will never be able to measure. And that's a beautiful feeling. That's a glorious feeling. No one will give you a, an award or money or, you know, you, you, you won't be on anyone's Instagram profile. But man, that feeling is priceless. Mm. Uh, you know, um, and, and we can, we all have access to that. Like, you know, you can just do what you can. Who was I? I was interviewing somebody recently. Oh, it was um, this founder of this organization called the Rainforest Connection. So this is an innovator who we've written four or five articles about. And um, he's discovered that old cell phones can save all the remaining rainforests in the world. His name is Topher White. It, it's just a brilliant brilliant concept. Now it's global. It's so big now. So he's gone on to another project. He's creating backyard devices that we can listen to the world that can listen to our world, our backyards, whether it's our, uh, uh, you know, our back stoop in the city or our backyard in the country. And, um, I, I kept wanting to attach a bigger global meaning to this because they're going to be collecting this data so we can know what's in my backyard and in your backyard and everybody's backyard. And we can, it's all about biodiversity and preserving biodiversity, big picture. But I kept wanting to take it to bigger heights. And he's like, no, Linda, no, let's, let it just, let's stay local. Let's just, let's just make a difference local. You don't have to change. I, you don't have to change the world. <laughs> And I love that about going from a project as big as he ha had to something that's just so focused on, let's keep track of how many foxes there are in our neighborhood, because foxes kill the mice that cause Lyme disease, for instance, right? And if my little neighborhood right here in Fairfield, Vermont, 
if we can see and keep track of the fox population growing, we will have less Lyme disease with the farmers or my kids or who's ever out in their backyard, right? This this thing about um, about serving locally, right where we're at, that, that can be something as near as our neighbor or it, our town or, or our Talk to me about the the localness of this this impulse to serve. Yeah, I, I mean, I I I think I think when we can start, you know, in in let's say you're in your freshman year of high school or freshman year of this Compassion College, um, you know, we can we can look for places where we want to go out and practice. So I'm going to go to Linda's Farm and I'm going to practice something there because it's conducive. Um, and because I haven't really flexed my muscles, but as you really get more established, you realize that not only is the whole world, your playground, every moment is, can be a playground for moving from this consumption mindset and this transactional mindset to this place of, uh, contribution to this place of service, to this place of connection and trusting in that connection to bring something out. And so when you say local, uh, I think it's, it, it can be, it, it's actually wherever you are. It's not even that I'm going to take care of this community because, you know, tomorrow you might be in a different city uh, and you may not have all the resources that you might've had in a different place, but that doesn't mean you're not local. You are local wherever you stand and if wherever you stand, you have the eyes, and we can all cultivate these eyes to say, how can I be of service? You know, just go out and, and pray for a tree. Go out and uh, feed an animal. Be nice to a stranger. Uh, you know, care for your neighbor. Like a thousand things that you could be doing. Uh, but I think it's predicated on having that lens. So I think, and, and it's not that you won't change the world, that your world will change for, because you did that. But even more importantly, you will change. So if I change, you know, I had a friend who came, he was very affluent in the world and he came to me and he's like, you know, I like this notion that you say, change yourself and change the world. Like it, you know, instead of like work on yourself and and that will create this ripple effect and the world will change. And he says, I like that notion, but I really want to leave a legacy behind. You know, I'm, I'm so rich and I've done so many things in the world. What should I do? You know, and so he had come from a different state to, to visit me. He'd come from Texas and he's asking me this question. And I said, you know, we talked a little bit. We shared ideas. And I said, you know, why don't you pay toll for the car behind you? And he was like, okay, yeah, great idea. And, and he had enough money that he could do that to every single time he crossed the toll booth, you know. And he's like, and we talked a little bit about it. And then he's like, I said, yeah, why don't you do that? And he says, okay, I will. Uh, but really, what should I do, you know? And I said, uh, you should pay the toll for people behind you. And he's like, okay, yeah, I will. But what should I do, you know? And I was like, wait, I'm telling you what to do. And he's like, no. Like, what should I really do? You know, as if like doing that small act wasn't significant. But what he's uh, undermining in that process is that when he pays toll for the car behind him, who will never even be able to say thank you, he is changing the eyes through which he's looking at the world. And if you keep continuously changing the eyes, you are going to be different for the rest of eternity. And everyone you touch Everyone, all the things that you encounter, you will see them in a different way. 
And so on one side, you can say, well, I have changed a thousand backyards. Sure, that has its value. But I have changed the eyes through which I look at the world. I will be a different Nippon for every single person that I will meet in my life. My God, like, and and all, think of all the potential that could get unlocked through all of that. So I think there's something to serving the world on the outside, but there's also something incredibly significant about changing the eyes that you you are carrying um, in in your relationship to the world around you. So I would say hyper local, even even more than just your physical neighborhood, like you're inhabiting your deepest self in your body, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing I have to throw out there is that one thing he learned that he shared with me is that um, you can't, you can't, um, and and I I don't think we should judge. That's the first thing we've got to get rid of is this impulse to judge the impact we're having (laughs) since we're all running around with goals and goal setting and all that. But he said, you know, you, you just will never, he was giving me a little bit of a pep talk and he goes, you will never know the indirect goodness and progress that your one act of something small will, will spawn, right? Things go out with the ripple effect in such lovely ways that we will never know. And that, that enough, the mystery of that for me made me smile and makes me smile every time I think about it. Totally. And I think it reminds me of this quote by Rachel Naomi Remen, which I really love. And she says, I think as you get rooted in the ripple effect, uh, you get rooted in a different, you you still serve, but you serve from a different place. And uh, Rachel uh, Rachel's quote uh, really describes this well. She says, when you help, you see life as weak. When you fix, you see life as broken. But when you serve, you see life as a co-creative whole. Um, and I think it's like that when, because if you start feeling like I have and you don't have, and you do this top down thing, like men being on the other end of the receiving like that doesn't feel that great. And actually even giving in that way is a very cheap way to give. Then you, and, or you start thinking, oh, well, I, I am so educated and I know so much and, and you, you're living in the slums. You don't, let me fix this for you. And to be seen as broken doesn't feel good. And even for the giver to have that hierarchy doesn't feel great. But when you start to say that, man, you have so many different kinds of wealth, I have so many different kinds of wealth, and we're richer, not just in an additive way, when we bring these things together in relationship, but actually it creates a multiplier effect that if one and one come together, it creates something greater than two because the plus sign has value, right? Like that's synergy, the whole, which is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, so I think this ripple effect can actually translate into you going from I'm a giver to actually I'm a giver and a receiver in all moments. Doesn't really matter uh, who you are. Yeah. You know, that co-creator concept is really, is really beautiful and empowering too. Um, there are times in my life, we, we, uh, I mentioned we've been able to travel to some pretty remote places in our lives. And whenever we were in a shared struggle with somebody, even most likely we couldn't speak because we didn't share a language. But when we both stood side by side and looked at the problem together 
and and you could say that I I had more money or resources, but they always had better ideas, <laughs> and right, and they always had more ingenuity because they knew the landscape around them or whatever. Um, that that looking at every opportunity to connect with a human being as a co-creation moment. Um, back to your back to where we're, we've kind of gone full circle in this conversation. If we look at um, you don't use the word capital, you used a different word, oh, different kinds of wealth. If we looked at all of our resources as part of our wealth, then the monetary part seems to pale in comparison to all the all the other bits and parts of wealth that we can each bring to a situation. And I, I think I, I think the first part is to say everyone is a change maker. Everyone is a contributor. Everyone can contribute in some way, shape or form. I mean, I have had food. My wife and I went on a walking pilgrimage across India uh, right after our marriage. And I, you know, we were fed by people who couldn't who couldn't feed themselves. They borrowed food to feed us because the generosity was more important to them than even feeding themselves. And, and I think life it rests in the hands of such hearts, you know. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's very much uh, alive. But what's beautiful is that if everyone is a change maker, if everyone is a contributor, then what we start to do is not just that my, my, your cooking skills and my coding skills come together and now we have two it's actually even more it's like it's like when hydrogen and oxygen come together they actually create a whole new property called water which neither hydrogen nor oxygen had so when i'm circulating my gifts and you're circulating your gifts and those come together there is this synergy that happens and you can, I mean, I sometimes just think of it as grace because it feels like complete magic, right? When these two hearts connect or a thousand hearts connect in, in this sacred way, it unlocks an entire new potential. And this gives me tremendous hope for, for all life that, yes, we have so many, we have compounding catastrophes that, you know, our world is facing right now. And you're like, well, what are these small acts going to do when, when the whole fire, you know, I mean, the whole forest is burning. These small acts, you're adding your little drop of water. What is that going to do? But what we discount in that kind of a worldview and narrative is that if you are adding that drop of water with a lot of heart, with this openness, you are going to connect with someone else adding that heart, uh, add, you know, adding that drop of water with that kind of a service heart. And when these things connect, it creates a nonlinear, nonlinear possibility that we won't know until we actually do that. Um, and so for me, it's, it's not, it's yes, the world is burning. There is a lot of uh, suffering that we are facing, but there are also a lot of people responding with compassion. And when these compassionate acts come together, they will create, it won't just be hydrogen and oxygen. It will birth an entire new possibility uh, called water, which will then nourish the many fires. Uh, and, and I operate with, with that kind of trust 
uh, in this deep field uh, of our shared humanity. Um, so I, I tend to, you know, acknowledge acknowledge the burning world and feel for it. Oftentimes I'm in tears just whenever I even see a homeless person on the streets. You know, we all, so many of us are uh, have that kind of empathy. Um, but uh, I also know that for all the problems there are, there is this vast conspiracy of goodness, uh, which is life. So let's keep going with that attitude. Yes, that is such a great place to wrap this conversation up. And I just have to tell people, there is a conspiracy of goodness happening right now. It's everywhere. It's all around you. It's really a lot about the kind of opening your eyes that we've been, that Nipun's been talking about, just opening to to seeing new things you once you start seeing it um goodness and progress starts popping up everywhere all right so i want to wrap up here with a question i ask everyone um you know if this episode had only been you know three minutes and and um and, and you're you seem like a super enlightened um nice person i'm sure you think good thoughts all the time but are there times when you listen to the news or whatever and you just go oh. <laughs> and is there one is there one thing like what do you really wish people knew is there one thing that that kind of you, you just oh, like i really wish people knew I, I think um, that one of the things that I'm also trying to learn um, that I wish I knew in a deeper way is, is what Gandhi would call the law of love. Um, I think we know about, you know, we, we know about electricity and gravity and, um, you know, all the different physical laws, but I think we underestimate the power of love. So we see there's all this science of how an 18 month old who hasn't even created these frameworks or ideas or, you know, it doesn't have the language, but yet immediately has an impulse to help other people. I mean, there's these incredible videos where, you know, people are, uh, if people are in trouble, they drop something, they don't know what to do. And an 18 month old walks up and like goes and helps. Um, and so I think there is this law of love. It is incredibly uh, subtle, uh, but very real. Uh, we all feel it. We're all driven by it in different moments, maybe not in all moments. Um, but I think I would love for society uh, to actually be designed around this law of love, not just to play defense on our vices, but actually to play offense on our virtue. Um, and I think it's possible to create that kind of a world, um, but it requires all of us to um, sort of illuminate this uh, intrinsic propensity uh, to respond to love with greater love, uh, this deep law of love. Um, so I hope I hope that I can do my part uh, to unlock the potential of this law of love. Uh, and I hope that, you know, all of us together uh, can add momentum to it. So we create a genuinely flourishing world. So we play a much larger, much more infinite game where we're not creating losers for every solution. Uh, we're actually creating a whole new plateau of possibility. Um, so that would be my my hope uh, for myself and for everybody else. 
Ah, that's just terrific. Well, I can't thank you enough, Nipun. We can do this. I, I look out in the world and I see, you know, just people popping up like stars in, in the darkness. And it's all about what we focus on. Are we going to focus, give our attention to the darkness or the stars? There's just so many. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, where can people find more about your work? I, I mentioned the TED Talks. We mentioned some other things. They'll all be in the show notes, connections to all the work that Nipun's um, wonderful way of thinking has has uh, uh, spawned all of those will be in the show notes on the goodness exchange website there'll be a beautiful article written around this podcast interview what uh, is there a particular pace people can um go next well i mean at, at a very practical level you can check out servicebase.org and that'll take you to different places but e even at an even more practical level i would just say tune into yourself you know, that's the place. That's the place where we unlock this law of love. That's the place where we say, hey, I am here, wherever that here is, even if you're momentarily there. As soon as you're here in that moment, you look out at the world uh, through the lens of, of, of service, of care, moving from me to we, I think we step into a service space, you know, and, and I think that's uh, that, that's, that's probably the best way to find, uh, to, uh, to find that ocean, uh, amidst all the waves. Ah, lovely. Well, I hope all these connections to goodness and progress that, uh, that Nipun and I have talked about will carry you through your week and you will start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be here.